and uh, welcome to another episode of Swing Thoughts. Uh, a rare Howard and Tim in studio get together. Always great to share a space with you. I, it is space. Yes, it's. Yeah. I can touch you. Yes, exactly. I feel like we're we make space for one another. Yep. And we share space. That's right. And sometimes when we touch, the honesty is... It's too much. That's right. <laughs> you know, you started this. I We had Dan Hill on the show. This is only a couple of years ago. Had Dan Hill on the show. And I guess that day there was like seven or eight, you know, all the production people were in the studio that day. And at the end of the interview, we asked him if it would be okay if we all sang. And so he... He did a sometimes when we touch sing along. I, I promise you, if you've never listened to the Humble and Fred show, go back and find that episode. It's pretty funny. Tim O'Connor's the uh, uh, mental performance coach for the Glen Abbey Academy. He's also got his own business. He's a, a coach, an executive coach. He's a speaker, a professional, and a. Uh, I do all that. He does a lot of stuff. Wow. Myself, Google me. Uh, it's uh, great to be here. By the way, as we mentioned on last week's show, we're happy to have Taylor made back. And we're grateful for their support along with Adidas. And, you know, I probably should have run this by you. But I thought, what, you know, because we both have such great relationships with the folks at Clublink. Yeah. You know, I don't think it would hurt us to mention that Clublink, I think we used to back in the early days to make it sound more professional. Yeah. We both play there. Yeah. Um, we, we do work for them. It, great company, 31 golf courses uh, across this great, well, Ontario and Quebec. So um, you're in agreement, basically. Yeah. You're good with that. I'm on board with that. Um, you know what I want you to do? Just, just un- unhinge that and pull it up so that it's straight. There, okay. there we go. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I was talking to our clubling people the other day, and I said, you know, we have this big announcement coming. Uh, we're going to be able to be heard not just on the internet, but uh, there's a terrestrial radio partner. And I said, you know, when that starts, you know, we'd be, I think Tim and I would be cool to mention Clublink. Uh, and they were more than happy to accept free advertising. <laughs> <laughs> what you're going to mention us on radio on your podcast? Nah, we don't want. Yeah, we don't, don't that. do that. Nah. Whatever. Hey, whatever you got. If I catch you guys giving us free advertising <laughs> on your podcast, don't diminish our brand. A- anyway, uh, swing thought golf nerds uh, as golf spiritual leader. Uh, I'm always open to. Uh, Sorry for laughing. Sorry for laughing. Seriously, that's all I got. Um, <laughs> you gave, you have all that other stuff. I'm just you golf me, spiritual. Yeah, yeah, I gave, gave you, you this great long bio yeah, as if like exactly. an encyclopedia, and then Google me. Well, I got you. Listen, if you want to go through my many golf accomplishments, we have only do we're only doing an hour show today. Something a little bit different. As many people know, uh, our man Tim has been involved in something called the Mankind Project. Very interesting work over the course of uh, many years. And today's guest is somebody from that world who has some golf experience. And it will be interesting, I think, to see how we marry the idea of mindfulness in the game of golf and how some of the work that our guest and Tim have done in the world of the Mankind Project. And if you don't know what that is, we're going to explain a little bit and how that's going to come together. So let's get uh, right to it. I'm going to read from an email you sent me. Okay. Uh, by way of introduction, uh, this gentleman is uh, a golf nerd. He plays a little bit of golf. Uh, apparently had a long battle with his driver, but I can help him with that. We'll get into that. Um, he is a lawyer, poet, professional speaker, and he has staffed more than 100 New Warrior Adventure weekends. 
and he's good looking, according to Tim. <laughs> I, I can. By the way, I just watched a, uh, a sort of a TED talk he gave. I think he's dreamy. As Tim said, in high school, I would have fucking hated him. <laughs> Please welcome to our program, George Durrani. What do you think of that, George? Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. That, especially that part about me being good looking, because that's something my wife and I are constantly negotiating. Well, listen, George, before you get your... You're, you're sort of suburb good-looking. You're not city good-looking. Yeah. I'm kidding. You you're, you know what? You're universal. Anyone would look at you and think, that guy's got great hair. Well, thank you for that. Um, I didn't know we were going to be talking about my hair today, but uh, well, you never sure we'll know, move on. You never know what we're going to be talking about. And uh, by way of introduction, so that's who you are, uh, and we're, we're happy to have you on our, our, our golf program. And we'll figure out a way to marry the two ideas. Yeah, so uh, listeners to this podcast have heard me from time to time talk about belief systems, the stories we're invested in, and have even talked about this thing called shadow from time to time. And I believe it's really a key thing in how golfers tend to get in their own way, you know, that that type of thing. And George and I and uh, others involved in the Mankind Project have been done a lot of work around this type of thing, and it's it's integral, this idea of shadow, in a lot of the work that we do uh, with men. And so I thought it would be, a re- George and I have talked about getting together on this show for a while to talk about this and connections with golf, because uh, full disclosure, when I first got involved in the Mankind Project, I didn't talk about golf. I thought I was kind of like, you know, Mr. Elite... Um, wasn't something that a lot of the men and and then george and i had a chat one day at one of the trainings and went oh my gosh you're a golf nerd i'm a golf nerd i can talk about golf with somebody and so george and i've made this connection around golf and uh george i understand that uh, as we alluded to earlier um you're an avid player and it's good to know you've recently made peace with your driver how's how's that been going well, I've been playing golf for about 30 years. Let me give you a little background of my golf history. I was basically self-taught, and then um, about 15 years into playing about once a week, I, I realized I needed some help, and I went and got I got six lessons, and so I kind of went back to the basics. And then I played another, you know, about 10 years off and on. Very, You know, I was, I was a casual golfer. I'd play one or two times a week didn't keep a handicap i was doing it more for fun than anything else and then about five years ago i got more serious about the game i started practicing more i began playing with a group of men who were really pretty competitive uh, and and i played pretty well started keeping a handicap and um and then i went through a couple of cycles where the breakdown in my game would happen with the driver on the tee and it would just come out of nowhere. All of a sudden, I couldn't hit a driver. I mean, like, at all. You know, you've heard about the putting yips. Well, I would get these driving yips. Oh, yeah. And the first time it happened about three years ago, I was able to figure it out and get back to it, and it was okay. But the more recent time, which was um, at the end of last summer, in August and then September of last year, I went into a complete driving breakdown. And I could not fix it. It was one of those really, if you're you're a golfer, and I know you guys are, but when you get to that place where you're in full and utter and complete despair, that's where I was. I was thinking about giving up the game. 
I was really mad at myself for spending all these years and all this money playing this stupid game. And and then I realized um, <laughs> childishly and stupidly, what if I ask somebody to help me? You know? Oh my gosh! And, <laughs> and like so, I you know looked around. I play. I live in Tucson. I play down here most of the year. And I hired a, a golf coach, and we went out on the driving range. And one of the things he told me was, "Look, you can hire me, and if I, and if I can't fix it, you, I'll give you back your money, right?" And I've never had anybody make that offer to me before. That was incredible. So I thought, all right, this guy knows what he's doing. And within the first 15 or 20 minutes, we, we pretty much had it sorted out. I was stunned by that. And um, so then I came back for five more lessons, and we worked on a few other things. And since then, um, my driving has been a non-issue again. And, um, in fact, I played yesterday and had probably my best round in the last four or five months nice and and i drove the ball impeccably so there's a lot in that that i can share about what was going on internally for me but that's the external story well what i wanted that's what i wanted to connect to because as you know golf nerds here on the show and you know as an expert player myself and i say that without quotation marks you know there's a lot of internal and external activities going on in the game of golf mentally and physically but if you could maybe start now that you've given us that story and shared it with us how does that connect around what we said in terms of your work with the mankind project how do do you connect it all right so i've been involved in the mankind project since 1992 when i went to san diego and did what's called the new warrior training adventure and one of the things that we ask men to do on a weekend like that is to take a look at their shadow and by that we mean what is the part in you as a man that is underneath what's happening externally like what's driving your behavior unconsciously what's what um what Jung called the subconscious or the unconscious and if we can bring that to light if we can make that conscious and look at it then there's something that we can do about that that's transformational so one of the things i discovered on that weekend was that what was really driving my life unconsciously was what, what, what I describe as the fear of dying alone after a useless life, right? I mean, that sounds really deep and dark, but the way it played out in my life was that I was a very sort of externally codependent. I needed to look good. I needed to be a perfectionist. I needed to figure everything out. I needed to have the answers to everything. And I wanted my life to be useful, so I was constantly in the world of doing and busyness and accomplishment. Those two things were playing out externally, but internally, it was all about avoiding this fear of dying alone after a useless life. And when I began to notice that and bring that into my conscious life, then I began making external changes in my life. And I decided, first of all, to get clear about what was important to me and what wasn't. Make, make my decisions intentionally and consciously and mindfully. Everything, like everything I was doing or not doing, bring it to that place. So here's the link to golf, right? Um, I was really attached to just the simple thing of like, where's the ball going to go? And how's it going to turn out? And what's my score going to be? And what happens catastrophically if I go out of bounds? or if I make a three-putt or, God forbid, a four-putt. I was so focused on all of those external things 
because of what was going on internally, primarily around fear. The fear of catastrophe, the fear of not figuring it out, the fear of not doing it right, of not looking good. The same stuff that I discovered on the weekend was playing out in my golf game everywhere. Um, so that's the, the, the sort of the simplest way I can describe it. So was it a matter of so? Was it a matter of kind of getting the fear out in front of you and just kind of taking a look at the grasp it had on you? Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example from yesterday. Uh, like two days ago, I heard a, a quote from Brooks Kepka as he was preparing for the players. You know, they were talking about Jordan uh, Spieth and how he'd made the swing change and he had all these consultants and coaches and advisors. And they asked Brooks, what are you doing? You know, and he said, here's what I'm doing. I'm focused on three things, my grip, my posture, and my alignment. And if I've got those three things figured out, I just make my swing, right? And there was nothing about anything else in that. So I decided just to try that yesterday on the golf course and forget about, you know, uh, where the ball's going to go, what the outcome's going to be, what my score is. And it, and it was like a fearless exercise because I have control over those three things. I have that, you know, I can check my grip and my, my posture and my alignment. I can do that very quickly as a pre-shot routine. And if I then just make the swing without fear, without attachment, then it becomes a very simple, complete project. And, and there's, no, there's no external view that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slam into that's going to create resistance in me. Um, so that's the way it played out just as recently as yesterday. I didn't have to worry about anything else other than just doing those three things. And I never once thought about my swing. And uh, that's that's new for me. You know, George, I worry about that all the <laughs> George time. I just want to say, it's too bad you hadn't met me and Tim, like, I don't know, a few months ago. I could have saved all that money on the driving lessons. <laughs> um, you know, what you just said, and, and the reason Tim and I are both smiling as you say it, because for over three years now, we've basically been advocating, discussing, having interviews and other discussions with you know, a lot of experts in the mental side of the game. But what you just described about Kepka, and we also had a discussion about Brooks yesterday with another fine, you know, uh, guy that spent his life trying to figure out why golfers and athletes perform a certain way. But what I'd like you to maybe help our listeners tie in. So what you just described is a, is a great freeing way to play the game of golf. Take care of the basics. And once you're over, we've said it this way, George, once you're over the ball, golf's the thing you can't, play while trying to remember how to play all you can do is take care of those basics and then you know just let it go how would you tie that into how most men men in particular live their lives bound by outcome worry you know versus just being in the moment and 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 taking care of the process i think because we're so um we're project and work and control oriented and that's the way we're raised. It's the way we're we're educated. It's the way we're we're, we're measured in the world. It's um, it's all it's all performance based uh, um, standards, right? So uh, results are everything. And and if results are everything, then we're attached to results in a golf game. And it's as simple as attached to the result for one particular shot. Forget about the score, you know. So if I'm attached to a result on a particular shot, I'm not in the moment of making the swing 
I'm already in an outcome that hasn't even occurred yet. Mm-hmm. And that's the way most men live their lives. They are outcome-driven, performance-driven, externally driven. And what I'm beginning to see again is that golf is an inside game. It's not an outside game. And the game is between my ears. It's not on the golf course. That happens to just be the playground I'm in. Um, and, you know, I, I jokingly say it's my, it's my meditative spiritual practice. Why do I play golf? Because it's the hardest thing I do that measures my spiritual condition, not my golf game. So that, I think... That's beautiful, by the way. (laughs) You know, in golf, we say that uh, golf doesn't build character. Golf reveals character. But as you say, it's a a real barometer. Again, I'm going to say this especially for men because of the way we work the world. But golf can really show you not only about yourself, but, you know, George, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And you can I I can tell everything I need to know about you uh, in the first a couple of practice swings, but surely by the time we leave 18, I, know, I would know more about you than if we'd spent, you know, an entire vacation together. Yeah. So, George, yeah, how... I think it, it discloses how attached I am to my suffering, for example, um, how, how responsible I am for that. It, it, um, it reveals, you know, how quickly I can recover from things, um, how reactive I am. You know, it, when I'm negotiating with the physics of golf, with the physics of golf, um, I'm in a lose lose. Anybody who's negotiating with the golf ball, with negotiating with what happens at the moment of impact or the result of the moment of impact, is suffering. You know, and so the whole the whole idea about accepting what is it comes into play instantly on a golf course because you get reality feedback. Um, Right out, you know, right out of the shoot, you get it on the first tee, mm-hmm. first swing, and the first result. And and if I'm negotiating with that, I'm already in trouble off the first tee. So, George, how does the this propensity to be focused on result and outcome? What is at play there then with the idea of the shadow? You talked earlier. It's about the part that's maybe the belief, the message that we have about ourselves that's in our unconscious. How does that come up and and play with us and affect us if we're results-oriented, whether it's in our relationship, uh, in our workplace, or on the golf course? Well, I think it's about fear and it's about safety, you know. One of the things everybody wants at a really deep level is they want to know that they're safe um, and that they have some sense of control over their own safety. And it pushes up against that because, as, as we know from reality, there's no such thing as external safety. I mean, the world right now is less safe than it's ever been, uh, even though men still hold more power than, than women and white men in particularly hold more power than just about anybody else in this culture. Inside, that little boy who's still inside the grown man lacks the firm belief in his own safety. And so we're scrambling for safety, we're looking for safety, uh, we're looking for comfort, we're looking for anything that can reduce our anxiety. And, And so when we're looking for that unconsciously, then we're creating an external construct that we think is going to give us safety, and it's an illusion because safety doesn't actually exist. 
I mean, at the at the deepest sort of darkest place, um, we know that we're all going to head for the dirt nap, right? <laughs> so ultimately, there is no safety on the physical plane because we're going to go. We're leaving. We don't know when, and we don't know the circumstances of that. But that's really what's playing out there is the plain fact of the matter that we're going to die. And it may sound graphic to, to try to weave that into a golf game, but that's in play there somewhere for just about everybody. So I want safety on the golf course, too. I want my ball inbounds. I want it on the fairway. I want a good lie. I want to be able to see the pin. I want to be in the right position. I want to make the next great swing. I want it to land on the green. And I want to have an easy two-putt birdie or an easy two-putt par and then move on. That's what we all want. And it rarely plays out that way. And then we get twisted about that. Right. So do, so is it a matter of if I'm afraid of three-putting the last hole to lose a tournament and I put my faith in, okay, I'm going to keep my head down and accelerate through, is that how we're creating safety? Because I don't really think that works at all. Because I really think that in that moment, it's the belief system, it's the shadow, it's that little boy fear that comes up and rules the day. Yeah. That, that's how it plays out for most men. Yeah, but there, but there is no safety. And then the question is, am I willing to risk making a complete swing and doing exactly what I need to do in that moment anyway? Can I, can I work through whatever that is and just do it anyway? Can I have the courage um, to do it? When I can, when I'm swinging like that, then I tend to have a much better day. It's counterintuitive. Uh, there's a very famous golfer, George Knudsen, who a lot of technical experts consider has one of the three or four best swings that's ever swung a golf club. And, and, and everyone would look at Knudsen or Mo Norman or Ben Hogan or Lee Trevino and say, what is the secret? What is the thing that I need to learn that they know that I don't know? And the, one of the most famous things Knudsen ever said was you have to give up control to gain control. And, it, and it's funny because sometimes I'll have these discussions with my my girlfriend and, and she thinks it's hilarious how I think life is golf and golf is life but it's I, it goes back to the first line of Buddhism life is a struggle the problem with most of us who play golf and a lot of men who live in this world is we want everything to go so routinely but in actual fact life doesn't go routinely whether it's in your personal life or on the golf course and it's, the sooner this is just my opinion the sooner we understand that it's supposed to be a struggle that that that's part of the fun of the game is the uneven lie and the the recovery shot from behind a tree and getting up and down to save a par or bogey that's the game but for some yeah. reason we just want our days to go so perfectly and as soon as traffic is backed up we lose our shit yeah what do you think? There's a lot of stuff in there, George. I know I, I took you on a bit of a journey, but just to no, give you some... I, I totally relate. One of, one of my friends says the real addiction, he plays golf with me almost every week. He says, men are addicted to comfort. That's really what's underneath all of it. And anything that moves us out of comfort um, and into discomfort, we can't tolerate very well. And the, the golf game exposes that instantly. And exactly. I think he's right about that. And, and that's why... I want to make this Freddie Couples said years ago, and I always remember this, they asked him, you know, like about his swing and how purely he hit the ball. He said, look, you got to understand something. I have maybe two pure shots around. Mm -hmm. Everything else is recovery. It's just a version Golf of. It's a game of recovery. Yeah. You know, um, 
It's, I mean, the, the, what you just said is so, uh, you know, so apt to the game itself. But one of the, but for some reason, we want it to be, you know, 18 fairways, 18 greens, uh, one or two putt every time. But life is, is richer for the struggle. It's richer for the, the ups and downs of it. But for some reason, we're all, we seem to want to shoot for the routine. Yeah. Which is where stress comes from in, in real life. And it's where you lose your mind in golf. Yeah, I don't ever want to lose my mind again on the golf course. I don't want to return to that place of despair. So back to one other shadow piece for me is that I've been a lone ranger most of my life. I've been practicing law for 36 years. 21 of those years I've done that on my own. You know, even though I've been connected to the Mankind Project and have been heavily involved in leading these weekends, I always had a hard time working with the team and being part of a leader team. So for me to ask for help when I'm in breakdown, when I'm in despair, to raise my hand and say, hey, I can't do this. I need somebody else to come here and, and look at this and show me what I'm, what I'm missing here. That was a huge thing for me to do. And it took, it took everything to pick up the phone and call this man and say, help, can you, first, can you help me? Are you willing to help me? And then to actually like receive the lesson, you know, but I'll tell you what happened was I couldn't see that I was beginning my backswing um, way to the inside. I was convinced that I was I was taking the, the, the club back on the correct plane. I was absolutely sure of it. And I was, I mean, you talk about being blind to myself. You know, he saw that on the first practice swing. And, you know, as soon as he got me on plane, everything started changing. I couldn't see that in myself. And... And, and I was stubborn for, for for months. I was stubborn enough to say, I'm going to figure this out on my own. And that pushes right up against many men's shadows, which yep. is, I can do it on my own. Don't talk to me. Don't teach me. I'll do this myself. That's, and um, yeah. you know, stubbornness is a killer, as we know. It kills millions of men every year, <clears throat> literally. Yeah, the, it's so interesting. You hit on so many interesting things there, George, is that, yeah, as men, we're not supposed to ask for help. No, I got this. Yeah, Lone Ranger, the Marlboro Man, I'm stoic. I got this. Suck it up and deal with it. And that actually, that's that's the little boy way to yeah. uh, to, to deal with things because actually we're, we're afraid of it. But to connect the shadow, whether it be in, you know, in our personal lives and the things that we're going or in our golf swings, what – one of the reasons I think we we fear asking for support or disclosing what's going on is that what's going on for us is in shadow and in our blind spots. So what you were doing in your golf swing was in your blind spot. You didn't even see it. And Not in so. shadow, yeah. a lot of times it's it's really and we can't even see what's going on for us because it's in our blind spot and still someone else goes, "You know, Tim, you're you're really a micromanager." <laughs> I can see <laughs> <go>, really <laughs> I didn't know that. So how do how do men, how do anyone, men and women, how do we get to see what what our shadows are? How do we bring them to the surface instead of just, you know, being the gremlins under the floorboards? Well, I think men have to be willing to sit in a circle with other men where they're willing to hear what those men have to say about them. And most men are not yet vulnerable enough to do that or to, are willing to take that risk. Um, you know, I sit in a men's circle every week, sometimes twice a week. I've been doing that for over 30 years. And I give the men in that circle permission 
to tell me things about me that I might not be seeing or noticing about me. That takes something from a man to do that. But once, once a man does that, once I did that, I found this enormous access to freedom in my life because men were willing to tell me the truth about me that I sometimes wasn't willing to see in myself or wasn't willing to own. And once, once a man does that, there is a whole world that opens up on the other side. Um, it's one of the reasons I've been involved in men's work as long as I am, because I know how to do that for myself and I know how to teach other men to do that. And I think that if more men did that, there would be actually, the, you know, going back to the safety issue, there'd be more safety for them and for everybody around them. Absolutely. Um, you know, because men would finally be open about what's really, what's really cooking inside. You know, the reason I didn't ask for help was because I was embarrassed that I couldn't do this, you know, and then looking back on it, and I was like, really? You were embarrassed <laughs> about that little thing? Come on. There's so many more things to be embarrassed about, but that was the one I was clutching and clinging to as if it really mattered. Yeah, know? well, I was going to say, as if, as if driving a golf ball <clears throat> had some significance to it beyond a game. Right. You know, it had none. And, none. And, it was just all made up in my head. I, <laughs> well, I was going to say, there's no other... huge story about it. There's yeah. few other sports where people get over so so overwrought like one of the jokes that i've done i don't think guys that play tennis or you know um squash are are looking at their swing in the uh elevator mirror like the rest of the golfers are you know or every, anytime we walk by a window or a mirror uh, you know you're looking at your backswing but i, I want to challenge you on something because I, I i think in your case maybe you were afraid to ask for help about your driver issue but your driver issue is really a lot of golfers don't mind getting lessons on how to swing a club, but very few of them would ever approach Tim or I to talk about the real shadowy part of golf, which is the mental side, which is how you feel about yourself, which is why you tend to drink more on the golf course to overcome feelings of insecurity and, and, and inadequacy. The game, when, when we say the game reveals character, what it reveal, what it gives you is a, is a game version of your life and in a very short order as you said you know, you used to get mad George I will tell you go back and listen to some of the shows that I did about the anger I had around golf was so wrapped up in me as a human being that as I got as I got older and a little bit wiser my my anger started to abate and dissipate because I started to know myself a little bit better. Yeah, the dragging yeah. the uh, five iron on the pavement. Oh, story. George, 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 <laughs> George. Well, um, we, we saw we saw that uh, exposed three weeks ago with Sergio Garcia. Oh yeah. yeah! Oh my gosh! You know, completely lost his mind on a golf course in plain view and could not reel himself in for many many holes. That's right. And and that's just an angry angry little boy. And that's the guy that won the Masters. Yeah, incredible. Um, guy, guy's been to the mountaintop and still prone to little boy stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, you were mentioning that you went to the, your first Mankind Project in 1992. Um, uh, just full disclosure, in 19... When did I go? I went probably... I was in my early 20s. I went to a Justin... Uh, Sterling. Justin Sterling Men's Sex and Power weekend in uh, California. Sure. I was living there, yeah. which was sort of the beginnings... Around the, it's sort of. What would you say? It's sort of like the uh, the men's movement. Well, it sort of planted some of the seeds of that. 
So yeah. I've been in, a, in, in the weekend, but it sort of started my journey of trying to figure out not only how I worked, but how I worked in the game of golf. Um, and I think what you said about whether it's sitting in a circle or some, some self-examination or having friends that can tell you the real deal about you, uh, something about playing golf with somebody, if you're open to it, you can learn so much about yourself and how you react to the game is also very similar to how you react to the world. Exactly. Yeah, for me, the journey started, I got sober back in 1988, and I thought, well, if I just stop drinking, then that'll solve everything. And it didn't. All it did was open up everything that was still unfinished that mm -hmm. needed my attention. It brought me into consciousness because the alcohol had been, you know, repressing all, everything. And when I began then looking at what else was, was coming up, uh, I realized I had a ton more, more, more inner work to do. So then, you know, then I discovered men's circles in 89, and I, um, I ran a men's circle I, I, for a couple of years not knowing what I was doing. And then I finally went to that weekend, and that's when I had the, the big aha awakening, which was, was, wow, you actually can wake up to these things, and you can then, you know, take them on and transform them. That, that happened in 92. And then every time, I, I just was on a weekend last weekend up in Prescott, we I'm now leader emeritus. I don't actually lead the weekends. I get to show up and do nothing. Really nice. <laughs> and look but cool still, doing it. And look good. <laughs> but it's still, uh, but it, there's still something that always happens internally for me there. Because as you all know, the, the work's never done. Uh, awakening is a process, you know. And then after awakening, you got to you know, get off the mat and actually go live your life. So it requires us to do things in the world differently than we would have done them before. So that's what always comes out of that for me and that's that's why the what you described as the circle is so important because that allows us to integrate because because otherwise you know i put it this way i can read a self-help book on friday and sunday night feel that my life has changed but wednesday i'm right back into regular once the stress comes but i need support i need integration i need people who are going to be able to tell me to my face what's going on but the thing that's so interesting to me george is the resistance that people put up they can yeah. talk about you know maybe they've got an issue with their golf game well no they're not going to go talk to a mental performance coach because they might appear weak mm -hmm. oh, oh my gosh don't or men will they'll talk to me about this new warrior training weekend and that type of thing and we'll go down the road with a bit talking about it and i go so um we've got this weekend coming up in june you know near london uh, you think you might want to go in uh you know i actually i think i'm good and I just go, I just look in their eyes and went, wow. Yeah. Basically, they're afraid there's resistance. Spe you know, spending 60 to to $100 a week playing golf, and they won't invest $600 for a transformational weekend that will impact their lives forever. You know, that's the other story. It's too expensive. I don't have the money. You know, I need to work. Um, really? Uh, it's incredible how much money I, I just... Uh, I spend on, on on leisure and on pleasure and on being comfortable, and I'm not willing to spend the money to be uncomfortable because it might push a few buttons that might require me then to change the way I'm looking at things and changing the way I'm living my life. It's amazing how we set our lives up that way. Yeah, but when amazing. we take, but what I find is that you know I did the the uh, New Warrior Training Weekend in uh, 2003, and yeah, it was one of the most important things I ever did in my life. But following that, I always had 
fear around doing more work, more doing shadow work, taking a look at you know my belief systems. But here's the point I'm getting to. The more I did it, the more I felt really good. It's like I stepped over this line, stepped over yeah. what we call the carpet, and did the work, and it was like, yeah. wow, I didn't just, uh, like, I didn't die, but now I feel so much better. I've just unpeeled another part of the onion to see myself a bit more. So it's like the resistance, I think, for me was from the fear, but once I kind of got, once I got through that, it was like, wow, there's the gift. There's and that's when I started to taste a little bit more freedom. Was that yeah. is that a similar experience to what you've gone through yourself and what you've observed in men? Yeah, very much so. You know, I'm, I'm I'm reminded of something I heard Werner Earhart say, which is, "My intentions, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my wishes, um, they won't change anything. I can scream those, you know, to the mountains, to the cosmos, to the universe, and it won't respond." to any of that but when I do or don't do something then the universe responds but here's the rub right what we discover is beginning to go into that space of transformation requires me to get out of the trap which is fear of, and the risk of losing control the risk of maybe bumping into my discomfort or this lack of safety once I do that once I cross that threshold and step onto that space then everything changes and everything becomes accessible. Um, I used to think, you know, I, I could think my way into better living. Oh, my I gosh. I could think my way into sobriety. I could think my way into consciousness. I could study and think my way into playing better golf, right? There, how many golf books are out there? Probably thousands. How many golf gadgets are out there? Probably 10,000. You know, and they don't, they really don't do much for most golfers. Because the game's an inside job. I think that's what you're saying. The um, mm -hmm. absolutely the the phrase "the unexamined life isn't worth living" uh, comes to mind when I hear you talk about that. You know, I I, uh, I stopped drinking uh, three years and uh, a couple months ago, and one of the things that I noticed when I did is the reaction of the men that around me, especially the guys I played golf with. There was a weird kind of. I'm not even sure what it is. It was just a, there was an almost like we we I had separated myself from them in a way that made them uncomfortable because mm. um, because they one of the things I used to joke about in my act was uh, I'd say, uh, you know, I just quit drinking. And all my friends said, oh, I didn't know you had a drinking problem because they drank like me. Well, what they're really saying is I didn't know I had a drinking problem. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that yeah. made me laugh because it's like because as soon as I stopped drinking, they're thinking, wait a second. Uh, Howard didn't drink much more than I did. And now, wait a second. If he's not drinking, what does that say about me? <laughs> yeah, you broke the bond, the, the, the secret bond of camaraderie. That's and, one of the things that links one man to another well exactly and and that's what made me think of when you know when you've invited people to the weekend or even if you invite like what we have here on the show we've asked the men and women listening to maybe rethink the way they think about the game of golf because we didn't start the show to tell you how to hold the club better or what to do on your downswing we started it so that maybe by thinking about the game differently you might enjoy it yeah in a way that you didn't know was available to you. Yeah. You know, um, the resistance piece that you talked about, Tim, when I went into this breakdown and I shared it with you, you offered to help me, right? You did. I did. A couple of times. And you know what I did? 
nothing. I resisted. I didn't. I didn't want Tim to help me. I wanted to figure this thing out on my own, right? <laughs> so my suffering continued for months. Now, well, good for you, George. With you would have been, <laughs> good for you. The mere fact that I wasn't even willing to have that conversation with you just speaks volumes about how entrenched I was in doing it my way. Yeah, and you're and you're what I would call a conscious man. You've like you've done a lot of work, and still your own shadow came up. Oh, big time. Well, I, I don't know your golf swing. Uh, Tim mentioned that you're about a 12 handicap, but I can tell you this as we start to wrap today up, uh, and I don't know you very well, but I can tell you sincerely that whatever was going on with your driver motion wasn't where you were taking your club back. And you can, you can, you, I promise you, you can tell the pro I said that. Because honest to goodness, if you're a 12 handicap, you have all the tools you need to hit any club in the bag. Yeah. Um, George Durrani. That's, that's how it played out. You know, that, well, it, that's how it played out. Exactly. It turns out that uh, that a lot of what stops us making a free and unencumbered swing are the th- same things that stop us from making changes in our actual day-to-day existence. Yeah, and I know yeah. we're not, we're, we've been talking about not being focused on results, but you had a nice little sweet 78 there. What? Yeah. Nice. And, I, and, I, and I missed, I know, this is the, the what if. I missed four birdie putts inside a ten. All right. Well, listen to you. One of the most developed and self-examined guys, and he's still going, you know, I had a three-footer. I could have been 77. You and everybody else, buddy. The evolved man still going like, oh, if only. It just shows you that uh, we're all, and and that came at golf. That's going to get me back to another round on Wednesday, you know. There you go. (laughs) Well, listen, my friend, what a, a, uh, how wonderful it was to talk to you and um, all the best. If you're ever up here, we'd love to take you for a round of golf. I'd love to do that. And I really appreciate being invited to the show. Tim, thank you for extending that invitation. And I've enjoyed the conversation a lot, and um, I'm not going to do anything with it other than continue to introspect my own life. Yeah, well, th- we finally got this round in, didn't we? Yeah, we did. <laughs> it's like golf. You talk about these things. Oh, we got to do it. Got to do it. We finally got her in, and it was awesome, man. So thanks so much. And let's uh, let everyone know if they want to get involved in uh, the Mankind Project. Tim, how do they do that? Uh, easiest thing to do would be to Google the Mankind Project. The, the, one of the URLs is uh, www.mkp.org. And um, the way you gain entrance, if you will, is through the New Warrior Training Adventure. Uh, if you're listening in Ontario, we've got a weekend coming up in uh, early June, just west of London. Um, it's, it changed my life. Uh, certainly... Um, but from the conversation you've heard, it instrumental in George's life. So uh, check it out and um, yeah, talk to a man who who's done the weekend. So I would invite you to talk to me or someone like George and find out what their experience was. George, what what do you think is a, is a way to get people to take a look at doing this weekend? Yeah, I'd start with the website. We've got uh, training centers now in in sixteen countries all over the world. We do the training in eight languages. There have been 70,000 men that have gone through. There's 20 to 30,000 men sitting in circles all over the world uh, each week right now. Um, so if you're not in that part of the world and you're listening somewhere else, um, if you go to the website, it will give you the, all the training dates and all the places everywhere. So plug in somewhere, find a men's circle, go taste it, go sit in that circle, 
come a couple of a couple of times and and see what what might work for you there, um, and then go do the weekend. That's really that's really the meat and potatoes of it. Absolutely. Hey George, what a pleasure talking to you, George Durrani. Uh, all the best, and uh, you know, good luck in your uh, golf journey. Thank you, man. I've enjoyed it very much. Have a great day. Take all care, right, George. sir. There you go. That's George. What a good guy. George's a good guy. He's interesting, though. I love the fact that as evolved a person as he is and as he spent all his life, all this time self-examining, he still wants to talk about the club going too far on the inside. What? what? And I left four birdie putts. I left four. I loved it, man. You know, what is it? This game is so... I, I, I really, you know, I'm, I'm in a, as you know, if, well, it's still a fairly new relationship. And, and, you know, Rachel's super smart, like really smart. A couple of degrees. She runs a museum for fuck's sake. But, uh, and she's very, you know, she has some coach. She has a lot of, does a lot of coaching. Been, she's been coached. So she's very versed in the world of self-examination. And even she sometimes shakes her head when I say, and then we talked about, and, and you know, about how golf is just like life, and, and then what it is, it's, it's like if, if you examine the way you are in the golf course, it's just like, really? Is this? Because if you don't know the game, you think it's like every other game. And it's just not. I mean, here's a perfect example. This dude there, 30 years he's been involved in this thing. I mean, yet he's still just like every other golfer. What is that? It's the, it's the human condition, man. It's like you said, the life is suffering, which sounds tough, but the suffering is from the striving, from the wanting, controlling, wanting things to turn out a certain way, stay comfortable. Sorry, folks, that's not the way it works. That's right. And just knowing that that's going to come our way, to me, is it makes it, makes it a little bit easier. When we were talking to Dr. Ed uh, on the last show, and we were talking about transfer training and... And how come people go can't go from the practice tee to the first tee, whatever? It's kind of like what I was sort of getting at with uh, George there in terms of people's stress in the day. You know, like I used to be very angry in traffic. I'm not angry in traffic anymore. Just I've given it up. But because we wake up every day thinking today is going to be special <laughs> no. today's perfect today's going to be perfect and as soon as just like in golf as soon as it's not we lose our shit you know i just want two shots two thoughts two from, yeah exactly from a complete meltdown yeah, we're two swings away from losing our minds um and i want to bring up something just as we end the today show we're taping this on saturday march 16th so by the time you hear it uh the players championship will have already been over and blah 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 but what I want to say about Tiger, and I know everyone knows I love Tiger, but the more I examine how he plays and what he talks about, as he talks a lot about seeing the game in pictures and imagining shots, et cetera, et cetera. But that triple or quadruple bogey he made yesterday tells you everything about, and I, was, I, I watched it a couple times because I wanted to see what his demeanor was while he was making the quad and after he made the quad. And, you know, to me, that's why he and, and Nicholas are the and Hogan were the best players. Not because of the secret or their swing. It was the day, the way they dealt with adversity. And I think that's the, that's the, the takeaway, certainly for me. Because yeah. he, he basically blew his tournament chances. Was, yeah, exactly. Done, basically. Done. Yet he still hung in there. He finished three under. If he had not quadded that hole and made a par, he would have been seven under. He was within two shots of the lead. Exactly. 
But the way he handled it is the lesson for all of us, I think, anyway. Well, he didn't, yeah, he didn't emulate his, his self-identity, he didn't need to have some demonstration to the crowd. And, and unlike Sergio Garcia, he wasn't just this, you know, two swings away from meltdown because he just has his, he just has his life kind of in spiritual order. And I want that, I use that word intentionally because I just thought one of the, in every show we do, there's a couple phrases that stick out for me and the one today that was so cool when George said golf measures my spiritual condition holy crap yeah. that's that is that's insight because it's not just your score your ability to, to, to swing but it measures how you feel about yourself what's going on between your ears and a lot of it is that what's the story that you've got going all the time that you know let's say you've two three putts in a row and you're sitting there staring a hole through your shoes you know I've worked on this putting mm-hmm. I've put on all the time I took a lesson I suck I always <laughs> will suck my dad was right the phys ed coach was right why do I do this I'm gonna quit even George you know the yeah. evolved man said you know he was in, in in the depths of his driver you know dysfunction I'm gonna I'm gonna quit this game I'm gonna quit this game wow and that really is you know like measures my spiritual condition wow well and that's just another a great way uh maybe a more modern way than saying that golf you know reveals character and and measuring your spiritual condition you know like i've you know i've played you know a lot of tournament golf as you know and i've played some tournament golf and i really haven't really talked about this incident that i'm about to say but Mm. i noticed in a tournament i played within the i'll just say within the last 24 months i noticed that somebody i was playing with cheated Ooh. And uh, and I and I and I kind of let it go, and I it was a it was one of those things where I didn't I didn't know a hundred percent, so I couldn't say, but I, I know in my my body I knew that it was something went awry, and I didn't do anything because I didn't want it to upset the ecosystem of the round and whatever, whatever. But that idea of that met so i have taken measure of that person's spiritual condition and it's in keeping with what they're like as a person it's like there's a lot of turmoil in there a lot of self-doubt and a lot of shadows and Mm. and and you know making no judgment and we all have those but that idea of cheating and golf is a measure of where you where you are in your world like what is it about you that you need to that a five is better than a six and all that stuff and uh, that particular thing made me think of that. Like, oh, yeah, that's what that person, that's his spiritual condition. Yeah, and how am I going to be judged? And how do I see myself in the world? How do I stack up? All that stuff. And, yeah, we're talking, um, yeah, during, this is the morning of the third round of the Players' Championship. And we were talking about Rory McElroy. And so Rory McElroy to me, his spiritual condition, if you will, pretty darn good. Yeah, it's just fine. Because stuff happens to that guy and he just rolls on. Yeah. And to me, the best players, you look at any sport or anyone who's who's done really well in the world without, um, say, making a bribe to a soccer coach at Yale or something. But yeah. those people generally, in whether they make a million dollars or, or um, you know, a minimum wage... If you're just cool with yourself and in a good spiritual condition, that to me is a recipe for a pretty happy life, no matter what you do. You know, last Saturday night, I was on stage at Yuck Yucks in Niagara Falls, and um, 
very early on, like I was the host, but when you're hosting at a uh, an away club, we'll call it. Like in the city, it's different. You come out and do 10 minutes, and then you start introducing acts. But on the road, you do 20 minutes, so you have to do material. So very early on in the show, I said something, and somebody else said something, like not a heckle, but they sort of tagged my joke, and it was funnier than my joke, and everybody laughed. And there was a moment there, yeah. like in a split second, where you can feel... Like, should I be embarrassed, humiliated, whatever? But I actually laughed out loud. And I said, that's funnier than what I thought of. And I went to my book and I started to pretend to write it down. And just that idea, the audience loved it because they could see that I was cool with somebody else also being funny. Because as a younger man, I may not have reacted that way. I might have gone after that person. I so relate. I so relate. I would have been like... (laughs) And I've seen comics do this where you 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 get angry at the audience because it wasn't a heckle. It wasn't a shot at me. And even if it was, it was funny. And uh, because, you know, not my initial reaction, but all those reactions happen so fast. But in the blink of an eye, I made the decision to to honor it and be okay with it because it was funny. And it's okay if you're funny as well. Well, we're all into this together. Exactly. Gosh sakes. I mean. On Thursday night, I was in my men's circle, and a guy was trying to work through stuff, and I was just, I, I couldn't budge him. You know, he was just caught in his head. And another man said, let's let's do this. So he gets the guy up, and, and then the man starts to make a shift, and I'm going like, wow, you, you, you know, I've been here for 10 minutes trying to do this, doing nothing, and you've been up there for one minute, and you got it done. I guess you're better. I went right into my story. <laughs> you're better at this. I'm, I'm, I'm not looking as good. And then I went, screw this. I did a all I could and as a team we were able then to, to work with that man and, and he got everything he needed so like yourself I kind of I, I went into my little boy stuff oh I guess I'm not good enough I don't stack up and then it was like wait a sec dude grow up you're fine and if I'm you know if mature Tim if I let him out it's fine everything works just freaking fine yeah and, and the thing is to remember like you know I had a uh, somebody come up to me after that show, and they were like, "Oh, you were so funny, whatever." And and so they don't remember that incident. All they have is a feeling of, "Hey, that was a pretty good time," and thanks for facilitating and facilitating it. Um, okay, how does this relate to golf? We're going to wrap up. Uh, very excited. <laughs> um, this is going to run. Uh, see, March sixteenth. So this will you'll you'll hear this like uh, seven days from now, around the twenty third. A couple weeks from that. Uh, we're going to start running on uh, a radio station in Hamilton. Hopefully, other stations across the country. The show is not going to be much different. Uh, it's just going to be maybe a little bit more uh, in segments. We're going to try and keep it down to two big ones. Uh, we'll give you details, but we're thrilled. TaylorMade still a sponsor. Adidas a sponsor. We got a couple cool things in the in the works. And now we're seeing each other. You and I are seeing each other for our TaylorMade like driver fitting. We're That's excited about Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday we're gonna uh, meet with Cam Jacobs and um, have a chat. And get is it Tuesday or is it? Uh, I thought it was Tuesday. I thought it was. Uh, I swing thought listeners don't care. Um, well, we're, anyways, we're getting fitted. We're gonna tell you all about the fitting. It's gonna be cool. And uh, all that stuff. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to your friend, uh, George. That was cool. 
Tim O'Connor, of course. Uh, Tim, how do you get people to call you? What do they do? O'ConnorGolf.ca. O'ConnorGolf.ca. And listen to Humble and Fred. Uh, HumbleandFredRadio.com. Uh, Funny 820. Humble and Fred Radio. Uh, all the podcasts are there and now each day from 7 to 9 live on Twitch TV. Until next time, everybody. Sound of the river, you stop and you hold everything. A band is blowing Dixie, double ball time. You feel alright when you hear the music ring.